just a gift to worship with you. For those of you watching online, uh, whether from Facebook, from newlife.nyc, or on YouTube, or maybe listening to our podcast later on, uh, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and so glad that you're worshiping with us. At the end of our service, I'll be downstairs in the lobby area, and I'd love to uh, meet uh, some of you, especially if you are here for the first time or if this is your first time in a long time. Uh, please make your way to me or one of our pastoral staff. Uh, we'd love to connect with you. Before I get into my message, I wanted to let you know that next Sunday we have uh, a wonderful seminar that we're offering uh, entitled Hope in Loneliness. Do you know that a few years ago, uh, the UK, the United Kingdom, um, appointed a minister for loneliness? Uh, this is not someone who is a clergy member. This is someone part of the government leadership uh, that they assigned a political position to address the epidemic of loneliness in the United Kingdom. And what they discovered is that no matter how large a city, no matter how, how close people are in proximity to one another, there's lots of loneliness that's going around. And that's just not for the United Kingdom. That's for the United States as well. There's a lot of people who are extremely lonely and inside the church, outside of the church, and so whether you are single, whether you are married, and I just want to let you know there's some of the loneliest people in the world are actually married. <laughs> some of the loneliest people in the world are, live among a lot of people. And so if you find yourself struggling with loneliness, if you find yourself trying to understand the theology around it, we have a wonderful event. Next week, we have a special guest, uh, Jason Gabriel, who's a friend of mine, uh, a dear friend, an incredibly sharp mind and a, and a pastoral heart. And he's going to lead us uh, from 1.30 to 3.30 at the end of this service uh, in a session on loneliness. And so I want to invite you to invite a friend. Uh, if you know someone that might be experiencing this today, you're going to find some wonderful theology, some practical tools and practices that will help you navigate uh, the loneliness that you might be experiencing or the loneliness that you know someone might be experiencing in your life. So make sure you register, register for that. We'd love to see you uh, attend that. Uh, also, before I get into my message, I, I do want to uh, remember uh, and pray for those in South Korea. Many of you heard recently that 100, over 150 people were killed in a stampede in South Korea yesterday at a Halloween event. And whenever something tragic like that happens in our world, uh, because of the international nature of our community, we feel it profoundly here. It's not like, oh, some people out there, because if something happens in the world, we feel it in some ways in our community. And so uh, let's just be remembering the people in South Korea as they mourn and grieve uh, the tragic loss of, of many people. And so um, we'll do that in our prayers today. Uh, now, today we're finishing our series on the book of Revelation. If you're new here, we are wrapping up seven weeks of sermons in which Jesus is addressing uh, seven churches, seven words Jesus has for seven churches, words of confrontation and words of consolation. And today we get to the final uh, word that Jesus has for this church, a church by the name of Laodicea. And so you can follow on the screen, you can follow in your Bible, on your phone. Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse number 14 Hear the word of the Lord. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, 
These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Good morning, everyone. Uh, verse 17, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we do remember the people in South Korea, those who are mourning and grieving tragic loss, and pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would comfort even the most grieving heart this day. And Lord, we also pray for ourselves as we listen and come under the hearing of your word that you would truly give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive what you want to tell us today. We offer these things to you. It's in Christ's name we pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen. When my wife Rosie was pregnant with our son Nathan, uh, she experienced lots of moments of nausea. Lots of moments where the food that she loved to eat and the smells that at one point was a delight to her, she could not stand it any longer. And so I would say, hey, let's order this kind of food. And she would smell the food and say, we're not going to have that food anymore. And it got to a point that where it was just so intense that she would stay in the bedroom and I would have to put a towel at the bottom of the door because the smells from our neighbors would come in and it just would make her a little bit too queasy. And as I thought about that, I thought that there are few things that are worse than being sick to the point of throwing up. And as I reflected on that lovely thought this past week, I was reminded of the words I just read in the book of Revelation, Jesus' words to the seven churches, because what we find in this particular letter is Jesus experiencing a stomach bug. In the Gospels, it's amazing, Jesus spent most of his time healing a lot of people. He healed the sick. He healed people with fevers. He healed people with all kinds of diseases. But nowhere in the Gospels do you see after Jesus healed someone, he caught whatever they had. 
You never see Jesus with the sniffles and sneezes, a chapter after he heals someone with a bad cold or with a fever. No, he just heals and he moves on and heals and he moves on. We never see Jesus experiencing sickness until we get to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, to the seventh church in Laodicea, where Jesus seems to be experiencing a terrible stomach bug to the point where he wants to vomit, which is actually the word there. It says spit, spit, but the closer word is the word vomit. Is there a worse word in the English language? I don't know, but this is exactly what Jesus is experiencing in this story, in this text, and it makes me ask a strange but an important question. What kind of spirituality makes Jesus queasy? What kind of religion makes Jesus' stomach turn? What kind of church makes Jesus want to vomit? And we turn to our attention to this church in Laodicea because I think we get pretty clear on why Jesus is responding the way he is. Now, to summarize, we're going to summarize uh, a lot of the weeks that we've been here and so over the last seven weeks. And so if this is your first time here, uh, congratulations, you'll probably get seven weeks in one Sunday. And so good for you. And so uh, we, we focused that uh, on these three words that the book of Revelation speaks to, that it is, it's a particular kind of literature that when you read the book of Re- Revelation, three words are to come to mind. The first word is that the book of Revelation is prophetic literature, prophetic literature, which is to say uh, God lets us know what the future holds, but not just what the future holds. We are reminded of who holds the future. Jesus Christ holds the future. The book of Revelation is apocalyptic, which is to say that although there's a lot of craziness happening in the book of Revelation, the word apocalypse means to reveal that which was previously hidden. And what we see throughout the pages of Revelation is this truth that no matter how crazy the world is, Jesus Christ is still present. Amen. No matter how crazy your world is, Jesus Christ is still present. And there's a revelation that takes place in this text. The third word that we come to mind, that comes to mind, is the word resistance. That the book of Revelation is resistance literature. That when the people of God read the book of Revelation, they were to resist the power of the empire and resist the power of sin. Resist the power of Satan. Resist the power of the flesh. And now we have Jesus trying to get this last church to resist once again something in their particular culture. Out of the seven churches, Laodicea is the most famous of the seven. And the reason they were famous was for at least four reasons that start with the letter W. Okay, start with the letter W. Four reasons why Laodicea was famous. First of all, they were famous because of their wealth. They had lots of wealth. They, they had a, a large bank in that city. Uh, lots of wealthy people lived there. They were famous because of their wealth. They were also famous because of their wool. They had a particular breed of sheep that made the, the best wool. And so people had the best outfits in Laodicea. People had the best garments in Laodicea. They were famous because of their wonders of medicine. They had a medical school in Laodicea. And they were infamous for their water, which we'll get to in a moment. But wealth 
wool, and wonders. This is why Laodicea was so popular. Uh, in, in our day, they would be the, the, the modern-day version of Chase Bank, Lord and & Taylor, and, 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 and uh, the New York Presbyterian Hospital all together in one place. This is where people came to go to the doctor. This is where people came to get good fashion. This is where people came uh, to make good money. Uh, Laodicea. Everyone wanted to move to Laodicea. People uprooted themselves to move here, much like people move to New York City. Every week or so, I meet someone in our congregation who's moved to New York City. Why? Because of opportunity, because of job, because of the status of this city. That's how it was with Laodicea. Everyone wanted to be there. They are a place of power. They are a place of notoriety. They are a place of worldly success. But just because they were successful in the world's eyes doesn't mean they were successful in the eyes of Jesus, which is a good reminder for all of us. Success in the world does not equal success in the kingdom of God. And failure in the world does not mean failure in the kingdom of God. And Jesus has some words to say to this church. Now, I love how Jesus spends his time addressing the church because before he goes into his particular words, he talks about something of himself. In previous letters to the church, he talks about how glorious he is, and he has blazing eyes and feet of bronze. In this case here, Jesus says these words about himself. He says, these are the words of the amen. I just love that Jesus is called the amen. Amen? Amen. I just love that Jesus. What's your name? The amen. You know you're all that in a bag of chips when your name is the amen. He's the faithful and the true witness. He's the ruler of God's creation. Notice he's not the ruler just of souls and spirits. Jesus is the ruler of God's creation. And one day the entire creation will bow at his feet. Not just individuals, but birds and trees and everything else will bow at the feet of Jesus. He is the ruler of all creation. Amen. And so he says, I am a, the amen, the faithful, true witness, ruler of God's creation. And now he begins to address this church. Now, the formula that Jesus has been using uh, throughout the seven churches has been essentially this. He begins with a word of affirmation. Then he goes to correction. Then he goes to motivation. Affirmation, correction, motivation. He usually begins with, hey, you're doing a great job here. Keep going. This is wonderful. And then he says, uh, but I have a few things against you. Take note of this. Take note of that. I'm really upset about that. And then he ends with motivation, with promise. This is what I have for you. So align your life to me so we can enter into this promise together. Affirmation, correction, motivation. But with the church in Laodicea, Jesus skips affirmation altogether. And he goes right to correction. And the way he does it is actually a bit funny because for every other church, for the most part, he said, I know your deeds. And then he would go, you're doing this well, you're doing this well. But for this one, he goes, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Why does Jesus use this 
kind of visceral language? Why does Jesus use this kind of extreme language? I think he does it for a few reasons. What Jesus has been doing throughout the course of these seven letters is addressing the particular temptations the church falls into, the particular temptations you fall into, the particular temptations I fall into, the particular challenges that the church experiences. And so in the first case, Jesus, uh, you know, his words are addressing a church uh, that is marked by assimilation, that the church is no different than the world. And so when Jesus speaks to the churches in Revelation, he's saying, I can't tell the difference. I don't know who's a follower of me and who's a follower of this world. And the church at some point has become so close to the world that you could not tell the difference. It's the problem of assimilation. The second challenge that Jesus has been trying to address throughout these seven letters is the challenge and the problem of persecution, which we really don't know much about here, okay? Uh, and so that's, that's for churches really around the globe right now that are experiencing it. And in the first century, these churches were experiencing persecution for faith in Jesus Christ, and Jesus speaks a word to them. But the third temptation that this church experiences is the temptation of complacency. The complacence of the, the, the temptation of apathy. The temptation of being indifferent. And so he tells them, you're lukewarm. You're lukewarm. Now, I mentioned that they're famous for their wonders of medicine. They're famous for their wealth. They're famous for their wool. But they're infamous for their water. Now, let me explain what's happening and why this term, lukewarm, what it meant in its original context. Laodicea had no source of water for their own. There was no source of water that they could get a cold drink from, that they could get, make some stuff with. And so they had to pump in water from different cities around them. And so in Laodicea, uh, six miles north of Laodicea, there was a place called Hierapolis where, where that was the place where uh, hot springs were found. Uh, springs with uh, mineral, mineral rich springs, hot springs where, where the water was over about 100 degrees and, and that water is where they found hot springs. To the south of Laodicea, it was a place called Colossae where, where we get see the book of Colossians and it was in that place where it was cold springs of water. Now, hot springs in the north, cold springs to the south, and they needed some water because they did not have their own supply. And so what did they do? They created an aqueduct. They created a system, a piping system, to get the hot water from the north to them and the cold water from the south to them as well. But in the process of transferring it, in the process of going from north to center and south to center, the hot water became lukewarm. And the cold water became lukewarm. It lost the heat and it lost the cold. And it became tepid. Listen, in Laodicea, you could not get hot coffee or cold coffee, iced coffee. In Laodicea, you could not get hot tea or iced tea. And I don't care how much wool you have. I don't care the wealth. I don't care the wonders. If you can't get a good cup of hot coffee, that's not a good place to be. And so Laodicea, you could not get a refreshing cold drink, and you could not get a hot drink to start the morning. And if you've ever had lukewarm coffee, 
is just a bad thing. This morning, I ordered a cup of coffee, and, and I like my coffee scalding hot, all right? I, I want it. Anybody else? I just want it. I, I don't want any lukewarm stuff here. And I grabbed it and walked out, got in the car, took a sip, and realized, no, no, they done violated. This is a violation. And so I went back in, and I said, I need it hotter than this, baby. I need it hotter than this. And, and I got my hot coffee. This is what Jesus is saying, essentially. He's saying, you think you got it going on. You think you're all that in a bag of chips because you got some nice wool, and you got some wealth, and you have some medical wonders. But here's the problem. You are living too far from the source. And you are just simply lukewarm. And Jesus says, I'd rather have you hot or cold. He says, you're not healing and you're not refreshing. You are just kind of lukewarm. Jesus explains what he means by their lukewarmness. And at the core of it is their kind of casual Christianity. Casual Christianity. Now, here's the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is that the creator God, the creator God who made heavens and earth, the creator God who made everything we see, has become a human being. And this creator God becomes a human being in the person of Jesus and lives a life that we could not live and dies a death that conquers sin and is raised to newness of life to remind death that death no longer has power over him and consequently will no longer have power over his people and over all of creation one day. This creator God who becomes flesh and lives a life that we cannot live and dies a death that conquers sin and is raised to newness of life that conquers death and lets death know that it does not have the last word, that creator God has placed his hands on you. That creator God has called you out. That creator God has anointed you. That creator God says, I have a purpose. I have a plan. I have a destiny. I have, I have an assignment for you. That creator God says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you gifts. I'm giving you passions. I'm anointing your entire life. This is what he says to you, and this is what he says to the church in Laodicea. Laodicea, he says, I am the risen one. My hand is upon your life. I have anointed you. And how does the church at Laodicea respond? With casual Christianity. How do they respond? With lukewarm Christianity. Where Jesus is no longer their life. He's just an accessory. He's a footnote. He, 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 he's just an extra. If you can get around to him, he's, a, he's an extra. They're apathetic. They're indifferent. Jesus is an accessory. And when I think about these people in Laodicea, I am frightened for my life and frightened for your life. Now, I know what it's like to live a cold life. Before I became a follower of Jesus, I, I, had, I wanted nothing to do with God. I didn't want to read the Bible. I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to follow the teachings of Jesus. I could care less about Jesus. I was as cold as cold is going to be. And then one day, as a 19-year-old, the love of God touched my life. The presence of Jesus did something in my soul. And I went from cold to red hot. Red hot. 
I, I, I was on fire for God. And that fire, I had very little knowledge, but I had lots of zeal. I didn't know anything about the Bible, but I was on fire for God. So much fire that I thought it was my job to defend Jesus at all costs. And so I remember one day I'm watching television, 6.30 in the morning, I'm watching TBN. Be careful what you watch. I was watching TBN. And, and, and I noticed that the person on the screen seemed to be teaching bad teaching, heresy. Now, I'm just a Christian for 30 minutes. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going, this does not seem right. This is wrong. And so what do I do at 6.30 in the morning? I see the number on the screen, and I call the number on the screen. Yes, I'll wait. And, 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 and I'm waiting, and then some lady, probably from Tennessee or something like that, picks up the phone, and I begin to just go after her and the preacher and everyone there. And she says, sir, I don't even watch the show, sir. I don't even watch the show. Well, you deliver this message to the preacher. This is wrong. That's how on fire I was. Fire, but no knowledge. Fire, but no, but no understanding. And then, here's the temptation that I have found myself in over 24 years of following Jesus. I went from ice cold to red hot. And then, I start coming to church. I start reading the Bible. I start getting confident in what I know. I start understanding what they do at church. Oh, this is when you sit down. This is when you stand up. This is when you pray the prayer of generosity. This is when you do the prayer of confession. I start familiarizing myself with everything where the danger of my life from time to time is I drift out of this hot and I go into this kind of casual Christianity. Do you know what casual Christianity is? Casual Christianity is a life that has lost wonder. A life that has lost the wonder of God. This is why when Jesus says we are to be like children, here's what children have among a whole lot of things. Children have wonder. Wonder. They delight over and over and over in the same thing. When my daughter was really small, Karis, I would push her on the swings. And, and what, was the, what was the phrase? What's the one word that kids say all the time? Again and, and again. And again, ah, again, 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 wonder, 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 wonder. And whenever we lose our wonder, we enter into casual Christianity. Wonder, the wonder of what? The wonder of the beauty of God. The wonder of forgiveness of sins. The wonder of God's compassion, God's mercy, God's holiness, God's judgment, God's justice, God's love. I know I'm in danger when I've lost wonder. And these people have lost their wonder because of their wealth. They lost their wonder because they felt like they were in really good standing. And Jesus says, I wish you were either hot or cold. I wish you were either hot or cold. I love the honesty of our church. One, one guy at the end of the first service said, Pastor, I just want to let you know I'm cold. I'm not lukewarm. I am cold. Right? I just want to let you know. I said, well, thank you for the honesty. I really appreciate it. He said, I am not lukewarm. I am cold. But this is why I appreciated his confession that he was cold. I think about something the great Gordon Fee said. Gordon Fee, 
New Testament theologian, who, a scholar who died this past week, was a friend of New Life, lived not too far from here, passed away, and as I was reading his commentary on the book of Revelation this week, I got news that he passed away. And as I was reading just about this part here, I got the news, and I just wanted to share it with you. He talks about the hot or cold, and I love his perspective here. He says, in actuality, of course, Jesus would prefer them to be hot, but if they were cold, then they could more easily recognize their station and be helped. Rather, his judgment is that because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. But here's the phrase here. If they just knew that they were cold, they could more easily recognize their station and be helped. The guy I spoke to at the end of the service said, I'm cold. But he knew because I'm cold, I need God to do something in my soul. Here's the problem with lukewarmness. The problem with lukewarmness, it's, it's very easy to go down the road of self-deception. Where you think you're doing really well. When in actuality, you're not. And I'm not. And so Jesus says, I'd rather you hot or cold because you avoid the road of self-deception, that you think you're doing a whole lot better, and I think I'm doing a whole lot better than I think I am. I also wonder, why does Jesus say, I'd rather you hot or cold? And it's not in the text, but I can't help but think about what's happening in our society today as it relates to the church. I think Jesus would rather us hot or cold because Jesus knows the damage that happens at the hands of people who are lukewarm. Jesus understands the danger, the damage that happens when people profess his name and don't live accordingly. Jesus knows the damage of duplicity and hypocrisy. Why are people leaving the church? Why are people turning their back on so much of the church? For many reasons, of course. But one of the main reasons is because the church has professed something but have not, has not lived something. And Jesus says, I'd rather you cold than to give the impression that you're really following me when in actuality you're not. The third reason why I think Jesus would rather have them hot or cold is because this lukewarm Christianity cannot really prepare you for crisis. And when crisis hits, you need something deeper than this lukewarm Christianity. And so Jesus says, your lukewarmness and my lukewarmness and their lukewarmness in Laodicea was rooted in their prideful self-reliance. They moved from God-dependence to self-reliance. Have you been there before? I've been there before plenty of times. You know what's one of the greatest signs of self-reliance? Prayerlessness. I know my life is living according to self-reliance when prayer becomes just an accessory. When it's something, if I can get to it, I know I'm living self-reliance. But God-dependent is, Lord, unless you do something in me, unless your Holy Spirit forms something in me, I can't do it on my own. Jesus says, the reason why you're lukewarm is because of your self-reliance. Verse 17, you say, I am rich, I have required wealth, I do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
Remember, Jesus evaluates the world very differently than we do. Look how he switches it. Remember the words to the church in Smyrna? The church in Smyrna is actually the opposite. To that church, he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you're rich. But to this church, who think they have it going on, he says, I know your wealth, I know your wool, I know your wonders, but you are poor. You need rescue. And so Jesus says, I counsel you, listen to the words of our Lord, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Look what he says. He says, you have a lot of money in the bank, but you're spiritually poor. He says, you have the best outfits, but you're spiritually naked. You have the best of doctors, yet Laodicea, you cannot see. And then he gets to a point of hope and warning. He says, here I am. Right after that, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and day with me. Look, gracious invitation, strong warning. Here it is. The glory of Jesus, the patience of Jesus stands at the door and knocks. But here's the question that we have to ask ourselves. On whose door is Jesus knocking? I used to read this passage and think, Jesus is knocking on the door of sinners, people who are not Christians, sinners, you know, that's who he's knocking. And the kind of language is, you're a poor sinner, you do not have a relationship with Christ, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart right now. Now, that's true, and I hope you hear the knock of our Lord if you're not a follower of Jesus today. If you're not a Christian, I hope you hear the knocking of the love of God on your heart today. But when this passage was written and addressed, it was not addressed to people who were not part of the church. It was not addressed to people who were not Christians. It was not addressed to people who were not baptized. It was addressed to people who are baptized. It was addressed to people who go to church every week. It was addressed to people who are Christians. And, and, and here's the scary part. They probably think Jesus is inside with them. When they gather and they worship together, they think, oh, Jesus is indoors with us. And as they're singing their song, Jesus is knocking. And they go, what is that? I don't know. Let's keep singing. The offering goes around. They give their offering. They pray their prayer of generosity. And they still have knock at the door. And they go, what is Who's knocking? Jesus is in here with us. Their preacher gets up and preaches. And Jesus is still knocking on the door. And this is the danger of our faith. That we can believe that we have possession of Jesus. That Jesus is with us when in fact Jesus is outside of us. And so here's the, here's the warning. Jesus says, I stand and knock at the door. Of who? Not the unbelieving world, but the believing church. Jesus right now stands outside of the door of the church and says, I knock. I'm knocking. I'm knocking. If you're living a life of self-reliance, I'm knocking. If you're living a life not of God dependence, I am knocking. And here, listen to the beauty of this. He says, what I want to do is I, I want to come and eat with that person. I want communion with you. 
I wonder if you can hear the knock of Jesus on your life today. The knock on the door. Brother Christian, sister Christian, do you hear the knock of Jesus? Jesus is trying to get access to the church. And the church has fallen into the great self-deception that he's already inside. And yet he knocks, knocks, knocks. How patient is our Lord? And he invites us to open the door. The question is, what kind of life smells good to Jesus? What kind of life actually is a sweet-smelling savor that goes up to the nostrils of God? And I want to summarize, essentially, our seven weeks in four different statements that really get to what Jesus is after for our lives, for your life, for my life, for you watching online. What does Jesus desire for us? Four things, and then we'll sing together. Jesus invites us to a life of communion through prayer. A life of recovering our first love. A life of abiding with him in prayer. That, that's what smells good to Jesus. Jesus invites us to a life of obedience to his teachings. The question I have to ask myself day in and day out is, am I obeying the teachings of Jesus? Or am I obeying the lessons of our culture? Am I, am I obeying the teachings of Jesus? Or am I obeying the teachings of my family of origin, especially in ways that go inconsistent with the ways of Jesus? Who am I obeying? Because whether you know it or not, you're obeying someone. You're obeying something. Am I, are you obeying the teachings of Jesus? What, what smells good to Jesus? Perseverance in the face of trial. That when you want to give up and you stay with him, some of you, you're persevering right now. You came to church and everything inside of you said, I don't want to come today. You came anyway. You're, you're a sweet-smelling, uh, you know, scent to Jesus. When you say, I, I don't want to pray, you persevere in the midst of trial. You stick with Jesus. You stick with the body of Christ. Perseverance. And surrender. What is pleasing to, to Jesus? Surrender, surrender, surrender. And every time we say, no, this is my life, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, I'm going to surrender to myself, Jesus says, that makes me sick to my stomach. But can you live a life of surrender to me? A life of not my will, but your will be done. A life of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I wonder which of these words is the Holy Spirit inviting you to today? Is it communion? Is it obedience? Is it perseverance? Is it surrender? And as we close this series, we invite ourselves and the Holy Spirit invites us to take an inventory of our lives and to live in the promise. Listen to the promise. The promise is to the one who is victorious. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Look at the motivation. Look at the promise. Jesus says, one day those who belong to me will rule with me. I don't even understand it. 
I can't even understand what's going on here, but Jesus says, I have a seat waiting for you. It is a spot with your name on it. You will rule with me one day. To those who are victorious, to those who, ex- who live life in communion, to those who are obedient to the teaching, to those who persevere, to those who surrender. And I don't know about you, but this is what I long for my life. The people who inspire me most are those who are in their, and I love that we're a multi-generational church at New Life, those who are in their 70s and 80s and 90s and, and, and 60s. I'm in my 40s, so I don't apply to this thing here, but yet, yet uh, for, for, for some teenagers, I'm way up there here, but I'm somewhere in the middle here. But, but people who have been following Jesus for a long time, and they're still just on fire for him. They, they just love worshiping and praying and reading the scriptures and serving one another and connecting to the body of Christ. And when I look at people in our community that are ahead of me on the journey, I think that's the kind of life I want. The kind of life that for each decade, my life is still pursuing Jesus. Isn't that what you want? God wants it more than you want it. He wants it more for you. And that's where we come to the end of Revelation. Jesus pleading with you. Jesus knocking on your door saying, there's so much more to your life than what you're living right now. Would you say yes to me? Would you open your life to me? Would you surrender to my will? Why? Because I have so much for you. May that be the word that sticks in our heart this week. Jesus pleading with you, knocking on your door, saying, I want to feast with you. I want to have a meal with you. I want to experience communion with you. And may we say yes to the movement and to the word of the Holy Spirit speaking to our very hearts this day. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, how much grace you offer. It's just unbelievable that you stand at the door knocking, knocking, persistent, patient. The amazing one who perseveres with us the amazing God who demonstrates his love over and over and over again. Lord, would your spirit touch our hearts this day. May you awaken us. May we be people who live to do your will and follow hard after you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand together. And before we sing, I'd like us to pray this prayer of confession. It's a great way to end, to end this series on Revelation. How do we end a series like this? Repenting. What's repenting? It is turning our entire lives and giving attention to Jesus and following in his way. That's repentance. Repentance is not just, I... 
I'm sorry about doing that. It's no, I'm turning, I'm orienting my life to Jesus and seeking to follow in his way. Let's pray this prayer of confession together and then we'll sing. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault, in thought, in word, in deed, in what we have done, in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Let's sing together. Falling down upon our knees, sharing now in common shame, we have sought securities, not the cross that bears your name. Fences guard our hearts and home, comfort seems. Back so we can sing to you, we can 
waiting. God of my present, God of my future, you write my story. You hold. Come on, you got it. Let's sing it out. Oh, God of my present, God of my future, you write my story. With faith we sing. our prayer team come to my right. May we resist all forms of casual Christianity, a Christianity where Jesus becomes an accessory, prayer becomes a luxury, uh, faith becomes something we give ourselves to when we feel like it. My hope for myself and my hope for you is that we would see following Jesus as our life. Not just part of our lives, but our entire lives. My hope is that we would live in God-dependence, not in self-reliance. That our lives would be one of communion and with obedience and surrender to our Lord. And sometimes we just need someone to pray for us. Some of you might recognize today like our congregant, one of our congregants did at the end of the first service and said, I'm not hot and neither am I lukewarm. I'm cold and I know it. Folks who are lukewarm often don't know it. But when you're cold, you go, I need God to do something in me. And maybe you came into church today needing the Holy Spirit to fall upon you, needing the Holy Spirit to anoint you, to fill you. Maybe you came in here saying, that's what I need. We have our prayer team here. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray for that. That God will give you a double portion of his life. A double portion of his spirit. 
that he would do something in you that you cannot do for yourself, which is actually a great definition of grace. God doing for us and in us and through us what we cannot do for ourselves. Maybe you came in here with all kinds of challenges and you need a word of encouragement. We'd love for you to come up for prayer. Maybe today you've been hearing the knocking of Jesus on your heart. And this knock is for the church and this knock is for people who have not said yes to Jesus. And maybe today you're saying, I hear that knock. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. I want to surrender my life to his teachings and to his ways and to him. And maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you're watching online for the first time. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you're saying, I, I think I'm ready to take the next step. You can come and our prayer team would love to pray for you. Or you can also text this phrase on the screen and one of our pastors would love to follow up with you. You can text yes to Jesus to 718 424-0122 and we'd love to follow up with you at the end of our service especially for those of you watching online we'll have a sermon discussion time and so if you want to just connect with others and experience community in that way feel free to click the link on the screen we'd love to connect with you for about 30 minutes before I pray our prayer of blessing I just wanted to remind all, all the men in, our, in, in the house today that we have a, a men's lunch. Uh, it was slated to start at 1.30. We might start a little earlier than that. So uh, feel free to hang around around uh, 1.05, 1.10. We'll probably have the doors open by that time. And we can just enjoy a meal with one another, connect. Uh, and if you say, I didn't register yet, just come anyway. I lo we'd love to have you, especially um, if you're longing for connection. Feel free to just drop in. Uh, it'd be glad, I'd be, I'll be glad that you are there. So we'll start around 1, 105, 110. Just go downstairs to the lower level and we'll connect uh, in that space there. Let me offer a word of blessing over you. Let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven. If you're new to our church, we end every gathering like this because this is a sign of receiving blessing. And Jesus wants to remind you that his hand is on your life. He loves you with an everlasting love. And we want to receive blessing out of which we give it to the world around us. And so whether you're watching online, whether you're in this room here with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit. May there be an aliveness to your life, a vibrancy to your life, a zeal to your life, a passion to your life. May Jesus fill you with his fire. And may you live pointing others to the beauty of Jesus, to the power of Jesus, to the love of Jesus. I bless you all today and the strong and the beautiful in the resurrected name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you all.